Boy, I mean, it yes. looks like a... <laughs> what happened there? Do you want to do it again or are you Let's do that again. Oh, dear. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson, Richard James and Chris Dale. Well, the moon may have been blasting out of orbit, but we're still here. As promised last week. <laughs> yep. Uh, That's right. Uh, yes. yes. If, if you didn't listen last week, oh. then uh, you may not be aware of Rich's very strange way of saying next week, yeah, which uh, I've woo. now adopted, and I now I can't uh, say it any other way. You wait till next week. <laughs> oh, I said that differently. <laughs> you did. You've created a new one. Well, I mean, this is the sort of amazing content you can expect Incredible. on the Jerry Anderson podcast. Yeah. Richard saying words differently. Yeah. Uh, as good as it gets. That is the best yeah. we can hope for. Yeah. At this point, I mean, we've already said every word there is to say. In the kind of the, the Jerry Anderson podcast dictionary. Well, we've had oeuvre, we've had tome. Gubbins. Gubbins, yeah, it's all there, isn't it? Yeah, felicitations. Have we had felicitations? I'm pretty sure I've delivered a felic- felicitations. Anyway, uh, this is the Jerry Anderson podcast oh, yes. where we say words that yes. mostly have some vague link to the yes. worlds of Jerry Anderson. Yes. And we tend to put them in some kind of order that makes sense as well. Yeah, yeah. Semantics and linguistically, we're pretty good at our uh, our, our Anderson syntax. Yes. Uh, anyway, I am one of the people delivering said syntax. Right. Uh, Jamie Anderson. Okay, it's got a bit weird. Oh, I'm just going to say I'm Richard James. Great. And also, just to keep it simple. <laughs> we're joined every week. Yes. By mm-hmm. Chris Dale. There he is. There Hi, he Chris. Is. Hello. Hi, Chris. Hi. Why uh, is he here again? Uh, I'm not really sure. No, we know exactly why he's here. He's here to deliver the most popular segment of this podcast. I know. Which is the randomizer. And all he does is sit there. I know. We do all the hard work. Well, we, we, We're like the warm-up we, men, aren't we? We sit here. He <laughs> yeah. just sits there. We He's, sit yeah, here. exactly. We're yeah. sat sitting. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. when Chris sits there, hmm. he does the randomizer where he presses a random button. Well, actually, he doesn't press it. No. The guest of the week presses the randomizer button. Lucky. Which randomly generates a random Jerry Anderson episode. Yep. And he watches it and says stuff. Yep. And everybody loves that bit. I know. It's only one bit. We do all the other bits. Yeah. Well, Actually, we don't do all the other no. bits. No, it's true. We, we do divide it up because we also have a mm. guest who comes in and does a bit. And uh, this week, it's the second part of my interview with Anton Phillips Ooh. on Space 1999. How lucky are we to have him in a podcast studio? Very uh, lucky. Shortly after Breakaway Day, of course. Yes. Can, can I just stop you there? Because mm. when we were walking to the studio today, yeah. you said that you'd been up all night coming up with a very fun phrase. Did I? Yeah. About our guest. Oh yes, and you, I don't think you used it last week. No, can I, well, I, I I used it in the title of the podcast. So. Yeah, I know, but you don't, you want I, want you, to say I want you to say it with all the gusto that it deserves. Ready? Yeah, stand by for Anton. Oh. there, that's good, isn't it? That's why he gets paid the big bucks. <laughs> Who Anton? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Only he was in Stingray. It makes sense. It would have been it? amazing. It Such a shame. Otherwise. Yeah. Anyway, yes, uh, he's brilliant. So but, we, we've got the guest, yes, obviously, but, Anton. But really, the people who do the hardest work of all, the who really carry the entire podcast, <laughs> don't they? Uh, the dead weight that is the podcast. It's our wonderful Podstrons. Yes, without them would be nothing. No, we'd have very little to say. Yeah. And we'd have nobody to speak to. I know. How sad would that so be? So without you, we're nothing, Podstrons. Yeah. Thank you. But luckily, they've been emailing us at podcast.jerryanson.com. Repeatedly. And they've been commenting beneath our YouTube videos as Ooh. well. So we'll get to hear what they think about some previous pods and fab facts, which is always useful. It's a good learning experience, I think. It helps us to improve To grow things. and improve, yeah. which is what why, we're all why, about. Why haven't we done that yet? I thought I thought you were going to do that. Oh, OK, fine. I'll... Pod 275 is a bit late to, to grow and improve, isn't it? S- see if we can improve it by 300. Sure. You did mention there something which is a consistent, strong performer throughout. Yeah. It's, it's the bit that's my favourite. 
and the best thing in your life, yeah. I'm reliably told, mm -hmm. it's Fab Facts. Do you want to go straight into a Fab Fact? Well, as long as we can get straight back out of it. We'll see. Mm. Now, time for this week's Fab Facts. It's Fab Facts. Yes. A book of Fab Facts is Fab. right next to my head here. Quite a thick fact. It's Fab book. It's a, it's, fab. Yes. It's fact. so thick that sometimes I call it a different word. Yes. Are you not going to, you haven't said it for a couple of weeks. No, because I, I get lambasted. And when lampooned. I, and lampooned when I say said words. So no, I've just got this big old book. Mm. Uh, I flick through it and Richard shouts Fab at a random point and that yep. hopefully happens as upon uh, a Fab fact. Although I will say yeah. there's no guarantee that it's Fab and quite often... <gasps> That can be candid of you. It can be a little bit, little, little limp. Well, shall that's we say. my whole point. That's what I've been saying. Yeah, but it's only You're occasional. Ready to pick it up. It's just occasional. Wow, that's so quite the mission. Let's hope this is not a damp squib today, let's hope and so. instead that we've got a real fab fact. Okay, let's see. Are you ready? Born ready. Fab. Thank you. Well, what, well what, done. Can I just say what I particularly like is that initial thunk. As the, uh, <laughs> yes, the, as cover the cover flicks past yeah. the mic. I try not to do that, but well, maybe don't start with the cover. Maybe just start with the pages. All right. Uh, you know, I mean, every day's a school who's day. Who's the Fab Facts administrator here? <laughs> well, you apparently. Well, thank you very much. So uh, you know, okay, just leave it to me. Eh? All right, Richard. Yes, I'm sure you've heard the phrases ghost hunt, yes, and ghost story, yes. But have you ever heard of a ghost tower? A ghost tower. No, I haven't. A ghost tower. Ooh. <laughs> well, uh, there's one in London. Okay. Uh, and it has a particular significance to the world of Jerry Anderson. Does it? Uh, yes, well, I hope so, according Ghost to this Tower. fab fact right here. Yes. Uh, if ever you're passing through Tottenham Court Road, hmm. look up and you'll see one of the most distinctive buildings on the London skyline. Oh, yeah. Centrepoint. Yes, I know Centrepoint. Uh, and it has a strange and interesting history. Ooh. It was designed by George Marsh and built between 1963 and 1966 with a hefty £5.5 million price tag, which, adjusted for inflation, must be <laughs> a, a lot more than that yes. now. It was built as a speculative office space by property tycoon Harry Hyams, mm. who leased the site at £18,500 a year for 150 years, and he intended that the whole building be occupied by a single tenant. The whole building? It's quite a big building, isn't it? It is. In fact, he consistently refused proposals to allow tenants to rent single floors within the building, let alone single offices. Oh. With property prices rising, Hyam simply sat back and waited for his single tenant at the asking price of £1.25 million per oh. annum. On completion, the building remained vacant for many years, leading to it being referred to as London's Empty Skyscraper. That's a very creative name, isn't it? Yeah, yes. At the time, skyscrapers were rare in London, and Centrepoint's prominence led to it becoming a rallying symbol for opponents. The homeless charity Centrepoint was founded in 1969 as a homeless shelter in nearby Soho, named Centrepoint in response to the building Centrepoint being seen as an affront to oh. the homeless. Oh, I see. For being left empty to make money for property, the property developer. Right. In the meantime, the building's value soared from £5 million to £20 million. Empty. Yeah. Well, not being liable for taxes because it was unoccupied. I see. Even today, the refurbished tower remains largely empty with few windows lit in the evenings, and this has led to it being called one of London's ghost towers. The ghost towers, right, yes. But, mm. I mean, I'm asking myself this, and What's I'm that? sure Potterons are, yeah. what on earth has this got to do with Jerry Anderson? Well, that sounds like that was written in capitals, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is, funnily is enough. It? Yes, good question, mm. Potterons and Richard and text. Uh, well, in 1969, just three years after its completion, the building obviously caught the eye of a certain television producer. Yes. 
named Gerry Anderson. Oh, yes, I've heard of him. Where better to house the London base of British intelligence than in a building that everyone in the country knew to be empty? Yes, Centrepoint is the location used in the last series to feature supermarination and live action together, the Secret Service. It was, in fact, the secret base of British intelligence. Ah. Not so secret now, is oh, it? Oh, you've let it out. Oh, no, Now sorry. they all know. Yeah. Oh, I see. It's interesting because it does... I don't, did you know Centrepoint? What I know Centrepoint. I mean, it looks like a Derek Meddings model, doesn't it? It, it does. Similar sort of, um, you know, construction. Already to be... No, I'm not going to say that. No, don't say <laughs> yeah, that. No, okay. No, no, no. But yeah. you know what I mean, though. Yeah, I do yeah. know what you mean. Absolutely, yes. And, of course, because of this, it was sort of semi-switching to live action, they were forced to find kind of real-life locations yeah. for the first time. Yes. And it was Centrepoint. Centrepoint. I didn't realise. No, you know. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. I quite enjoyed that. And I know Centrepoint very well. I shall look at it in a new light. Me too. Mm. But yeah, not, not so secret now. No. So would you say that was a good fat fact or a flimsy fat fact? No, a... I like that. It's pretty good. Really? Interesting, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we're on a bit of a roll, a bit of a traje- an upwards trajectory. Right. It's been sadly lacking of late. Okay. So we'll see what next week has to offer. Let's let's hope for something good next week. Uh, I'm slightly worried about this one because I'm not really sure where we're going to go. But oh, yeah. that I thought about that. brings yes. us to the end yeah. of this week's... Building facts. Ah, no, I mean, blew not, it. I blew it. Not even a, a suggestion. Because I was going to go secret fact, then I hesitated, and then Could've the, gone the gone moment had gone. Could have gone for secret fact. Yeah. And well, it would have been secret building fact, wouldn't it? Secret building fact. It was a secret building Good. And a fact. Let's move on. I think we should. Hello again, Ander fans. It's Jamie Anderson here, updating you on all the latest from the expansive world of Jerry Anderson. Let's dive straight in. Breakaway Day has come and gone, and what a day it was. If you managed to get yourself a comic anthology, then you are in for a treat. And there's just a whisper that you might still be able to get the comic anthology with that free puzzle gift. Also, the live stream was nothing short of brilliant, so hats off to the team for making that such a memorable one. Coming up tomorrow, we have an exclusive. Dive deep into the mind of the randomizer himself, Chris Dale, as he chats about his upcoming release, The Secrets of the Secret Service. This bookazine promises to give fans a deep dive into the final Supermarination series and you can secure your copy with a pre-order for delivery later this season. Thunderbirds enthusiasts, your special day is just around the corner. With Thunderbirds Day approaching, we're dropping hints and teasers left and right. The main event? Well, of course, it's going to be a Super Thunderbirds Day livestream set for 7pm on the 30th of September. Don't miss out. Exciting news, we've renewed and expanded our license with ITV, allowing us to explore fresh, innovative ways to celebrate your beloved shows. This means new stories in comic books, graphic novels and audio formats spanning all your favourite series. But here's the thing, we want to hear from you. Which tales are you itching to dive into? Drop us a line at podcast at jerryanderson.com. Speaking of fresh content, did you catch the sneak peek of our exquisite new Eagle collectibles? Well, as part of that expanded ITV deal, this is merely the tip of the iceberg in our forthcoming range, so stay tuned for more details. And finally, after all the hints and teasers, next week the veil will finally be lifted and those furry fiends that I've been alluding to, well, they're about to step into the limelight in a way that you might not expect. Brace yourselves, and as always, stand by for action. As ever, there's a wealth of content over on our YouTube channel, so don't forget to check it out. But until next time, remember the legacy, enjoy the journey, and keep the Anderson spirit alive. Back to Richard and Jamie in the studio. 
let's move on to our wonderful podstrons. Uh, by the way, if you're sitting there listening or watching as you're doing the ironing pen, uh, you might have a stray hand. Maybe you iron with the left and right hand and you've got a stray hand. Well, you could use that on your phone to subscribe. To what? I don't think we want to encourage people to multitask while doing the ironing. <laughs> you know, it, no? there's no indemnity insurance on this podcast oh, for you okay. doing that. Please do not right. risk doing that sort of thing. If you're going to subscribe, take a few moments, yeah. possibly sit down. Switch the iron off. Uh, yeah, exactly. Switch the don't iron leave off. It on. Make sure everything's safe. Yeah. Uh, Look around you. Make sure there are no other hazards in the area. Exactly. No trip hazards or anything. Yeah, and then okay. sit carefully yeah. and, uh, you know, with your with your head upright so you yes. don't get a neck injury very carefully yeah. uh, subscribe to the podcast okay there you go and also while you're there you can leave a nice revating which is a review and a rating to let us, let us know how we're doing uh, you know we'd love to see your comments and five star ratings you know, a thing of joy isn't it oh, it really is we live for them don't we yeah Mm. Yeah, we read them between takes. Yeah, we do. Yeah, it's just true. to keep us going. It's the only thing that sustains us. So please, <laughs> I mean, without you, we'll yeah. we'll shrivel and, and wither and perish. So it's just as well that the Podstrons have been in touch. Would you like to hear some email? Thank goodness, please nourish me with those emails. This is the voice of the Podstrons. Hello, Richard and Jamie. Hello. This is Simpsons Clips 24 here. Another one. Yeah. Um, so I was looking through some old issues of Fab magazine when I came across something that I thought was very interesting indeed. Oh, really? Simpsons Clips. We'll see about that. It was an article that said something along the lines of, Jerry Anderson's forthcoming new children's series, Lavender Castle, mm. has been bought by the BBC for a screening in 1998. Now, I don't know what events led to it not being shown on the BBC. Perhaps Teresa Plummer Andrews, the executive producer for the BBC's children's department, didn't like science fiction. But it has led me to wonder, would the show have found more success if it was screened on the BBC? What do you think? SIG, Simpsons mm. Clips 24. Well, I don't know why it didn't end up on the BBC. Yeah. Um, they were be, expecting it to, though, clearly. Yeah, it'll be some sort of uh, licensing or distribution contract problem. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but obviously, CBBC, e even then, was was bigger yeah. than CITV that it ended up on. So True. it probably would have had more eyeballs. Yeah. Um, and there's something about Lavender Castle which, I don't know, fits the sensibility of children's BBC a little better, I think. Okay. Yeah. You not think? In what way? I'm not quite sure. Wreathian somehow. It's, I, mm. I can't really tell, and I and I, I worry about trying to find the words because it may end up sounding offensive, and I don't mean it to be at all. But it just—I don't know. There's just something of the nature of it, the style of it, the the thoughtful handmade, ah. which maybe for me, especially ah. in that era, era yeah. would have fitted better with the CBBC. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Castle from Edinburgh got in touch to say, Hi, Richard and Jamie. I'm still getting used to the new format and I tend to listen to the beginning, Fab Facts and the Jerry Anderson News. However, I then watch the interview in Chris mm. Dale's Randomizer. I've noticed this. Yeah. Basically, nobody wants to see us. They just want to see the interviews and the uh, randomizer. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. That's fair. Uh, you may wish to involve Chris in this part of my email. Hi, oh, Chris. Hi. Okay, Chris. Hi, guys. Uh, I think the randomizer benefits from actually seeing what Chris is describing. I agree. Uh, it did make me think, once all the episodes have had the randomizer treatment, would Chris consider revisiting those episodes which were under the old format? It could either be exactly as he's doing now, or perhaps also include Chris commenting on the original randomizer. I would love to hear Chris's thoughts regarding this suggestion. Well, so you'd have Chris watching it in here, <laughs> yeah. and then also a playback of the previous yeah. randomizer That's while it. he's watching the episode, That's and exactly he's commenting it. on what he said previously as well as the episode at the same time. That's it. The meta randomizer. Yes. Okay. I That's hope a thought, to isn't watch it? that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Chris has suddenly disappeared. <laughs> it's funny that, isn't it? I don't know why. <laughs> um, I've got one from Sean. Oh, great. 
Hi, Jamie, Richard and Chris. Hi there, Sean. Well, Chris is gone for now, but yeah. uh, I've loved all the Anderson stuff since I was a boy in the 1960s. Do you think it would be a possible idea to update UFO or 1999 with a new series? And apart from Richard, who would be in it? <laughs> obviously, well, obviously, obviously, Richard's in there yeah. uh, playing, uh, well, uh, Dr. Russell and... Um, yeah, I could do that. Uh, yeah, you'd play sure. that and Alan Carter. Yeah, uh, all one-man show. A couple of masks, yeah. you'd be Meyer. Yeah, no one would ever know. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, Sean, I, the, the, we do a lot of thinking about potential live-action reboots and who you'd cast and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but a key thing here is, do you think it would be possible to update? Yes. Well... It's a yes. very challenging thing to do. What do you think? In terms of, well, not, not theoretically. I see. I'm talking practically. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. quite often we get asked, why don't you remake yeah. XYZ? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. for many reasons. <laughs> yeah. Mostly, yeah. they're blooming expensive. Yeah. And getting all the rights holders to say, yes, let's do it, is yeah. really difficult. And getting people to commit the money to do it is really difficult. Yeah. Uh, so, it's yeah, it's a great idea, which is discussed all the time. Yes. The practicalities are another matter. Absolutely. Yeah. How interesting. Sorry to be the boring school teacher there. Uh, Ambassador Paul Hyde from the uh, Isle of Wight. Isle of Wight, not Paul Hyde in China. No. Uh, hi, chaps. I was wondering how the band Spectrum got involved with Captain Scarlet in the first place, and did Barry Gray uh, write the music for them? I've just got their album, which was suggested by our fellow potter, Duncan Moss. It would be nice if you could track down any of the band if they're still alive and interview them. Yours, Ambassador Paul Hyde. Oh. What do you know about Spectrum? I know nothing about okay. Spectrum. So I would love to know some Wouldn't more about great? Spectrum. I know very little. No, I mean, they, they found that really lovely bit of footage uh, from 67 of uh, Spectrum around Carnaby Street that was included on the Captain Scarlet Blu-ray, mm-hmm. doing all sorts of promotional stuff. But I'm not sure how they oh. came to be involved or what went on there or what came first. Is it, you know, chicken and egg? Yes. So, yeah, all if right. you know, email us podcast at jerryanson.com and yes. perhaps there's a future video for the YouTube channel right there. Yes. Thanks for that, Ambassador Paul. I'm going to get onto that myself, do a bit of research, see what I can find. Maybe there's a reunion. They can all be on the sofa. Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, come on, get on with it. All right, well, not now. I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes. Oh. Fine. <clears throat> uh, do you want me to do another one? Yes. Rick Adams. Oh, yeah. He's been writing in. Oh, good. He sent an email. Oh, thank God for that. Do you want to know what it says? Yes, I do. Rick says, Hi, Jamie and Richard. Hello. I've always loved the 90s dance track by... FAB featuring MC Parker called Thunderbirds Are Go. Fine. You know the one? No. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, which features lots of samples from Jerry Anson Productions set to an old school Euro dance beat. Oh, yeah. It spent eight weeks in the chart over the summer holidays in 1990 and even got into the top ten. Well, really? Did it? Gosh. Can't believe that. No. Doesn't say much of the top nine, does yeah. it? Uh, it just want, I just wondered if Jamie knew any information about it, uh, like how it came to be or what Jerry thought of it. Right. P.S. For Richard, Space Precinct is my favourite Jerry Anderson production. You suck up, Rick. Yeah, that's why that email is on that it's list. It's funny, that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I wonder why. Yeah. I'm not, again, I'm not really sure about the, the history of this kind of weird remix release i mean they were very very weird and there's the video i think the video the music video with parker at the decks right um, okay being mc parker i mean right. it's terrible i okay. can't believe you love it rick but yeah. each to their own each to their i'm own. glad it brought you some happiness absolutely yeah yeah there we go <laughs> uh keep them coming in uh email us podcast at jerryanderson.com i don't need to tell you how to do it now do i please no there's no, no need for a presentation no, no exactly uh send in your emails and we'll read them out next time for sure 
Okay. Pod 276, that'll be, won't it? You're right. Gosh, you're so good at counting these days. I'm getting much better. You can hear that next week. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Uh, Now, just before the randomizer, it's time to welcome, uh, well, Anton Phillips back to, uh, well, the other side of the table where you're sitting. Yes, I've warmed the seat up for you. That's very kind. But could you kindly vacate the seat? Okay. Goodbye. After drama school, our guest began an acting career in Britain that broke many barriers and becoming best known as a cast member of Space 1999. He survived a devastating explosion on the moon, but he's here to help us celebrate Breakaway Day and tell us more about his life and times. It's Anton Phillips! Anton, thank you for joining us again. I'm glad we didn't scare you away last week. No, my pleasure. I enjoyed it. (laughs) Great. Uh, Last time we met a young Anton Phillips who found himself cast away on the moon. Uh, A podcast viewer recently posted a picture on our Facebook group, uh, which is to highlight the diversity of the cast of Space 1999. Do you think that's a fair comment and were you aware of it at the time? Uh, Well, to the diversity of the cast. I mean, it is a fair comment because, uh, you know, casting certainly at that time was very white. Uh, and you know, apart from myself and Clifton, there is Xenia, for instance, uh, and then you know the uh, Italians coming in as well as special guests, with yeah. and that. Yeah. So that did make a difference, but I do think it had an effect on how much we had to do. I, you know, certainly, if you look at the series, uh, all those, all all of us had episodes. Devoted to our some particular crisis, uh-huh. which we are concerned at, we, you know, whether it was Prentice Hancock or Nick Tate or yeah. or Xenia come to that. But if you look at it, there isn't a single episode in those twenty four episodes which either involve Clifton or myself mm. carrying the main storyline. Mm. So it's still a long way to go at that point. It was yes. I mean, I suppose it's a it's a line that ends perhaps happily in, in the worlds of Star Trek with the first black captain of Deep Space right, Nine. Right, yes. Uh, but still in the seventies, struggling to get yes. to get that recognition. And I th- yeah, and I think it might have something to do with where they are going to be selling the series onto. Mm. Uh, you know, I think they, they certainly had an eye on well, sort of the American market principally. Yeah. Um, and having you know. Strong storylines with black characters wasn't necessarily, yeah. at the time, the most uh, compelling yeah. requirement. But in an ideal world, for you, Anton, I'm interested in this. Would be, would the ultimate goal be to cast black actors in obviously major roles, leading roles, mm. without race even being well, yes. a I mean, question? And it's happening now. Um, you know, there's a series where it really is startling, in in that sense, called The Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, about Catherine the Great of Russia, which mm-hmm. is a period piece yeah. for a start, and they cast right across any kind of racial line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So some of the Russian aristocrats are cast as black people, or cast yeah. as Indians, or so you know, with no reference being made to color or yeah. appearance or anything. They're yeah. just cast as actors. Yeah. And it really is it, it's startlingly refreshing yeah. to see that. And likewise, Bridgerton as well, a series yes, might right. be yes. really good on, yeah. on Netflix. And that seems to have come from theatre, which is a little more colour blind, you might think. I, yes, know, I know, again, not ideal, but certainly the trend these days, and the right trend, is to, yeah. is to cast actors on their merits and not on the colour of their yes, skin. Yes, I mean, certainly that's happening. And, I mean, and recent things that have happened in especially in America, have, have prompted that move. Yeah. You know, the, the, um, the George 
uh, George Floyd, Floyd that's right. incident. Yeah. Um, murder, not incident. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, that whole movement which came out of that mm. has forced people to stop and think about what they're doing and how they're doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but having said that, you know, one, one of the things which I discovered is that the theatre establishment in this country is a seriously conservative establishment. It resists change, mm. which I discovered. Mm. Uh, and I say theatre, but it also extends into the film and television industry. So that certainly there are parts which I went up for which required a black man. Mm. And I'd walk in the room and I wasn't black enough. As I stepped through the door, <laughs> right. I, you could just see, you know, thank you for coming. You know, they could have said that before I opened my mouth or anything. What a nonsense. Um, really? Now, yeah. that, I think, is probably loosening up a bit. Yeah. But, yeah, still, still a way to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, I asked you in our brief email exchange beforehand to uh, provide me with your favourite moment. So let's have a look at that and have a chat about what you picked. We go. Well, Break if you're away. doing that today, yeah. you couldn't improve on that, I, could you? I agree, absolutely. It's a really effective sequence, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, look at those explosions. I mean, uh, that can't be improved on. That's, you know, and then the response to the explosion and, yeah. and people being thrown all around the place and so That's on. It. I mean, really very, very good. I mean, it's a nice metaphor, isn't it? Because it's the beginning of an epic journey for the, mm. for the characters. Yeah. And also, you might say, beginning of something of a journey for the cast as well. Yes. Uh, for that yes. first year at, at Pinewood. Yeah. Um, um, well, I was just going to say, also, it just sets up the series so nicely as well. Yeah. And and creates the because of the this huge catastrophe which happens, yeah. it brings everybody together on Moose Yeah, you know, so we have this common goal of a survival. Yes, uh, which lends it uh, this kind of warmth and you know, uh, even though even though the the set and the design and everything is all clean cut mm -hmm. and hard edged in a way. Mm -hmm. The, the group, the cast, the storylines and everything else, I think kind of emphasises and stresses the yes. camaraderiness of, of the people. It's yeah. a story about humanity, yeah, ultimately, for me, as, yeah. as a viewer. Yeah. I remember that very clearly. Now, uh, Chris Dale, who also appears on the, on the podcast, had a question for you about... Uh, he was saying that whenever anything bad happened uh, on Moobase, uh, 
Dr. Matthias is always the first to be smashed over the head or thrown through a, a plate glass window. <laughs> Why was that? How did that feel? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, did you do many of those stunts yourself? or uh, uh, No. Um, no, I had a wonderful stuntman called Paul Weller, mm -hmm. I think his name was. Certainly Paul, anyway. And uh, he, I mean, he was a taller guy, bigger than me, right. white as well. Right. By the time he came out of makeup, uh, you know, I, my wife, my then wife, did a couple of episodes of Space 1999. Oh, yes. And, uh, and she was in one where I can't remember what the disaster was I was facing, um, but Paul was there made up as me, and I said to him, look, over there, there's my wife. Go over and, you know, say hello to her and see. So he went over to her and bent down to kiss her on the cheek, and she sort of went, and <laughs> it, it took a moment before she registered that it wasn't actually me. How funny. But no, he did, he did all my stunts. I mean, I'd start off something like that yeah. fight with Nick. Ah, yes. Uh, and then drop out a shot, and he would come in. I see. And, pour, and Nick's stunt. Man would come in and then and you'd sit back and watch with the company. We'd sit back and watch it, yes. <laughs> uh, series two. So, what happened? Uh, a couple of episodes for you. Yes. Uh, well, uh, money. Uh huh. Plain and simple. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, they invited me to come back. I didn't realize that they were actually whittling down the cast or anything. Right. Uh, but they invited me to come back and offered me the same money. Right. I thought, hang on. That yeah, they're not paying me that much to start off with. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we went into negotiation. My agent said, look, you know, we need such and such. And they said, no, 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 you can have the same. Uh, and so that took over a couple of episodes. You know, we were negotiating during those first, first two episodes. I see. And by the time it got to the end of the second, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go off and do something anyway. I'm going right. to... Because having... You know, the funny thing is, when I did... The 24 episodes of series one, which took about a year, a year out of my career, as it were. Yeah, so theatrical, it was going lovely. Mm -hmm. Jobs were coming in and so on, building up a reputation. Then went into space 99 and disappeared off the stage. Sure. Suddenly you're not available, are you? I'm not there. I see. Uh, and I then even learned after the space was finished and everything else, Somebody, some friend of mine said, uh, oh, you know, I went up for such and such a part and and they said, um, we've been trying to get hold of Anton Phillips. Do you know, you know, and they, and, and they were told Anton Phillips has left. He's gone to live in America. Oh, <laughs> oh right, okay. So I, I wasn't even in the country, yeah. never mind. Wow. Uh, and yeah. I just thought, the thing is, when we did Space, it was like six months before it was shown here in Britain. Hmm. Uh, so there's this long gap. So it's not even as back on in any kind of public viewing or. Yeah. You know. So I thought, uh, no, let me go back to the th concentrate on theatre and picking up again and reestablishing. Yeah. So that's what I did, and and also having then done two episodes and seeing the change in the whole atmosphere of the place. You right. know that lovely family feeling and. The loss of Barry and uh, you know, and others, and yeah, yeah, I just thought uh, it's not the same thing. Now, what, and what do you put that down to? Because there was a change in the production staff. Yes, of course. I think it probably came from yeah, from the top. From the top. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, fans. It's a huge controversial thing as to <laughs> whether this American producer who was brought in, yeah, uh, uh, was responsible for putting the kind of 
hand of doom on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, before we get to some more viewers' questions, just mm. like last week, and talk about your theatre work, uh, just a look again at another piece of TV. Uh, this is, uh, I think it's from about 40 years ago now, so more recent <laughs> memory. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's a trailer for something that you did all those years ago. Let's have a look at this. Case in last week, the heroin itself is impure. That means somebody out there on the streets is poisoning their poison. Yes. And nothing for God's sake, that's not Robbie! I told him he was a freak he ought to be after. Mentally describe him, then he, he beats me up and goes off. What's the pusher's name? Uh, they call him the, the gent. Looks like one too. A bowler hat, old school tie. You have one second. I don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> Return of a Saint. <laughs> yes. Ian Ogilvy. Uh, Ian Ogilvy and uh, Christopher Timothy, I saw there as well. Ian Ogilvy, that's right. Yes, Full of young yes, people again. Yes. As they were. Interesting uh, how interesting. He looks so much like Roger Moore in that, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely Maybe right. The broadcast that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, would you say you're happiest in front of a, a, a camera or in front of a live audience? Both very different experiences, It is very different. It is really different. I've, I've never, ever really felt that I cracked the, the camera. Um, you know, there are some actors who have a relationship with a camera which, mm. which just makes it work for them so well, mm. doesn't it? Yeah. And I never, ever felt I had that relationship. Whereas when I'm on stage, I feel I have that relationship with the audience. Yeah. Uh, I feel we're in, in it together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I suppose it's easier to do that because an audience is a living, breathing thing and yeah. you know, you, you're responding to each other. You, know, you play off each other when mm. you're on stage so mm -hmm. much. Um, and I feel I could do that on stage. You know, I picked up you know, the sense of the audience and... You know, I could take them along, you know, using that sense. Or if there's, uh, and I never ever really got that from being in a, in front of a camera. Mm. And of course, you get a rehearsal process in the theatre. Right. Yes. You get four yeah, four yeah. to six weeks of of exploring your character and relationships and so on. And not only that, you then get the opportunity to redo it over and over. Yeah, you know, when you're running it. Yes. Which. You just is another whole learning experience yes. again, you know. In addition to the rehearsal period that yeah. you have had before, yeah, that's right. Uh, and as a director too, I think you've had uh, a great deal of experience. Mm, um, yes. Did you were you able to bring um, sort of best practices from directors you'd worked with on TV, oh, or was absolutely. it a completely yeah, different yes. piece um, as a director of theatre? Best practices mainly from people I'd worked with on stage, but you learn yeah. everything. You know, or rather, you learn from every director, really. Yeah. You know, whether it's Charlie Crichton or Ray Austin, uh, you know, or Charles Marowitz on stage or whoever. Um, you, know, you learn what makes it work for them. Mm. You know, why is he a good director? And mm. you sort of do this instinctively. You, you know, you're not sitting there; they're studying that. Yeah. Uh, so that when it came for me to start directing, you know, these are the things I drew on yeah. and thought, you know. This is how you get people to work for you because ultimately that's what you want. Absolutely. You know, right. People to actually work together as an ensemble and work for you. Yeah. And in Space 1999, for instance, 
uh, one of the successful things about that is that they did get the cast to work as an ensemble. Yeah, absolutely right. And and a lot must go down to Martin and Barbara for that as well, because they weren't playing the starstruck Hollywood, you know, uh-huh. big wigs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they were really embracing of of people. Um, Wonderful. You know, and and the guests which came in as well, and so on. Yeah. Uh, and and that was also a really nice part of it, working with some of those guests who came in. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't work with all of them, but you know, Peter Bowles, I think I had scenes with. Um, and my favourite one, of course, is Peter Cushing. I mean, he was just such a lovely, lovely person. So uh, we, we spoke briefly, I think, last time about, uh, you know, if you're a day player on something and the regular cast are, tend to be quite dismissive, mm. the boot was on the other foot with you there. So you were able to be the kind of actor you yes, would Yes, yes, yes. But mind you, some of these people coming here are such <laughs> big stars. <laughs> <laughs> you, you sort of sit down there and look up at, in, <laughs> yeah. in awe. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, uh, just before we move on, let's have another uh, opening of the, uh, of, the, of the Space 1999 lunchbox uh, to see what our uh, viewers and listeners have been sending in for you. We have one from Roger Morgan. Mm-hmm. Actors sometimes flesh out their characters and give themselves a backstory or expand their scenarios. Did you do this or was it just turn up? Read your lines and off home. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, by the way. <laughs> no, no. And uh, and when you when you do film and television, uh, I think you tend to do the second yeah. version of that. Yeah. Um, I think if you're doing a feature film, and you've got a big part in there, you yeah. need to do a lot more study. And what about uh, Bob Mathias? Were, were you? Was it left to you to kind of bring your own absolutely. backstory? Well, yeah, nothing yeah. was suggested absolutely, to you. Absolutely, yes. Um, you know, we never... I, I never, ever had a discussion. Right. Not even a discussion. I never even had a suggestion from yeah. any of the directors about who or what Bob Mathias was. But from your point of view, for security as an actor, did you have to know or didn't, didn't it matter? Um, well, yes, because I had to be consistent. Uh-huh. So I had to know what and who Bob Mathias was. Yeah. And also, yeah, as a trained actor, you tend to do that automatically anyway, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Uh, so you're then in a position to say to a director, if something really comes across which goes against everything that that character is, you have to be able to say, well, hang on, you know, would this guy really do that? Yeah, and have the confidence to stand your ground as well, I suppose. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I don't think I was ever big enough to be able to stand my oh, ground on something like that. But, uh, yeah, people are open to listening to what you have to say. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, you come in and they've got their plans and how the scene is going to run. But if you say, well, look, you know, can I do it this way instead? And they'll, think, and they'll say, yes, yeah, that sounds good. Go ahead. Uh, so there's that, you know, two-way mm. exchange, which was really good. Yeah. One more question, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. This is from John Jackson. Were there any tensions or resistance to changes in season two uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> of Space 1999 that you saw? What did you make of season two changes? So we discussed that a little bit, but were you aware of how other people felt about it? Well, there certainly wasn't any discussion on the set about it in the time that I was there. Yeah. Um, but the entire atmosphere in the studio was so different to season one mm. uh, that, you know, going to work 
wasn't the pleasure that it had been in season one. Yeah. Going to work was just turning up for right. for work. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it must have been the changes and the people who had dropped out of the series which brought that forward. Yeah. Because, I mean, none of us knew. I certainly didn't know that we weren't going to have um, uh, Victor Berkman and sure. uh, uh, who else? I um, see. You know, some of the others yeah. were, were dropped out of it. And so it came as quite a shock. And, yeah. and it, there wasn't any explanation. It's not that Barry didn't want to do it or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And and that whole family feeling and feeling of being part of something special mm. just didn't seem to be there yeah. in that tone. Uh, now, I'm going to show you one more TV clip, but actually mm. I think will lead us quite nicely into your work on the theatre, following your, your TV work, and particularly with, with Carib, which I'd like to talk yeah, to you about okay. as well. Uh, so let's uh, have a quick look at this. Oh, Sergeant Jones. Yes. Dr. Moon would like your advice. Yes. You see, last night, as I was driving to a patient in an emergency call-out, I was stopped by two police officers. They searched me, didn't believe I was a doctor. It's the fourth time it's happened, I doctor. If you want to make a complaint, you have to go to the station front desk. It'll be put in the incident book and get dealt with. So you think I should make an official complaint? Well, it's not up to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm being paranoid. Maybe it was a genuine mix-up. Could be. Well, he wrote down the officer's number. But I thought maybe you could look into it. If he feels strongly about it, he should go to the station and make a complaint. But I just thought it would be better coming through you. No. Not through me. Sorry. I thought you said he was sympathetic. But he's usually very helpful. Policeman is a policeman. Whatever his colour, they look after their own. No memory of that is at that all. <laughs> yes. I was say, just before we started playing that, uh, Anton said, was I in this? <laughs> 1992. Really? Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, Dr. Moore. As I said before, uh, yeah, I play a lot of doctors. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, funny that, isn't it? Uh, so this, uh, yeah, was a uh, particular episode was a, a, a complaint of sexual harassment by WPC against a black sergeant. Now, it was an episode of a hit TV show telling stories, in this case, perhaps not so much from a, a black perspective, but certainly from more of a sympathetic perspective, perhaps, mm. towards uh, black people in the UK. Did this, uh, you say you can't really remember uh, filming that, but did that chime with the sort of stories you wanted to start telling uh, as a well, performer? Well, it's certainly stories which needed to be told. Mm. Uh, and and still still do. I mean, uh, they, gosh, there are so many stories that we do have uh, about life in this Britain, never mind, uh, you know, about life in the various countries that mm. we originally originated from. Um, and and we need to tell our own stories to our own people as well. Mm. Uh, it's interesting if you go into the West End of London where the majority of the commercial theatres are, uh, you, there are very few stories there which have anything to do with black people. And they and then they turn around and say, well, why don't black people ever go to the West End? Uh, it's because there's nothing that they have in common with yeah. anything. Yeah. Okay, more recently, there have been things coming in. Yeah. Most notably of all, of course, is Hamilton. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen Hamilton. Yeah, uh, I have. Yeah. But what a brilliant, brilliant Amazing. piece of theatre. Absolutely. Um, so, and and I suppose in a way that leads into why I started up a theatre company. Yes. So tell me about Carib Theatre Company. What was the thinking behind that and how did that happen? Well, it is literally about what we're talking about, that um, yeah, I wasn't seeing anything which reflected my community on stage. Nothing was being offered. Uh, so then I started. I, I, I thought, well, there was, uh, there was a Tallower Theatre Company, mm. which had been running for a few years, um, and then a theatre company called Black Theatre Cooperative started up. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was started by a group of young black actors. And a friend of mine said, uh, oh, you know, those people at Black Theatre Cooperative, you know, they only ever employ themselves, they don't employ the rest of us. And I said, well, yes, that's why they started up the company, you know, to <laughs> employ themselves. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, in fact, you know, if you envy them so much, why don't you start up a company? And then I thought, hang on, why don't I start up a company <laughs> yes, doing that? I do that yes. <laughs> and so, yes, yeah, I gathered ah. a few people together, we talked about it, and eventually uh, Carib Theatre came, came about precisely to offer work to black actors, black writers, black directors, backstage management, you know, the, the entire gamut of... Mm. of um, the profession. And where were you performing? Uh, touring or... Wherever scale, we could, or? wherever we could, because that was the other uh, big problem, that, you know, the theatres, A, only fringe theatres, small theatres would even consider taking you mm. in, um, which is pretty much still the case. Mm. Uh, so actually finding venues to then put on these plays was a big difficulty. One of the things which happened at the time is that the government of London changed, and Ken Livingstone became leader of the council, the Greater yep. London Council. Yeah. And he had a much different attitude to what prevailed at the time. Mm. He was certainly against the status quo. And and so I wrote to him. Ah. <laughs> I wrote to him, I said, what are you going to do about black theatre? Right. And he said, well, come in and talk to us about it, which I did. I went in, I saw a couple of his officers and explained, you know, the situation that... Uh, you know, we there are a few black theatre companies around, but we have no venues. You know, if we want to put on plays, you know, we have to go and find some scout hut somewhere or a church hall, usually on the fringes of London, but hardly anywhere in the centre of London. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we need we need our own theatre, and I'd, and they said the reply to that was, well, we're not going to give you a theatre because we're not acquiring any more property or anything, but mm. we'll make sure you get access to one places and so we went to see the arts theater which is in great newport street right and yeah just off st martin's lane yeah in the heart of center theater yeah. land theater land and um that led to what became the black theater season so for three months in the year we would put on a series of plays a series of productions funded by the glc right. uh and in a proper theatre with nice red seating, yeah. with a proper lighting box and yeah. sound and yeah. red curtains which drop in front and the proscenium. <laughs> yeah, and you, know, you didn't have to go in and sweep the stage before you did the production uh, or your performing space, yeah. never mind the stage. Yeah. So, and that just gave such a huge profile 
to black and Asian theatre because I invited Asian theatre companies to come in and take part in this uh-huh. as well. And, you know, so for really for the first time, you could see a series of plays. We cut it down to three plays. So every month a new play would be on, uh, which would expose the writing, which would expose the actors, yeah. which would give opportunities for all those workers, lighting yeah. designers, you know, sound designers, yeah. costume people, to work on these plays. Now, I know Wikipedia can't often be trusted, but there's a lovely quote here that says of you, his professional life has been dedicated to the promotion of black theatre, and to that end, Philip started a number of projects that significantly changed the profile of black and Asian theatre in Britain. That's something to be proud of, isn't it? Yes, yes, I am proud of that. And, and, and there are one or two things in Wikipedia which, as you said, are not exactly accurate. Uh, I mean, I think it said in Wikipedia that I'm the first black actor on television or something like right, that, which right. isn't true, of course, right. when you had Rudolph Walker and Carmen sure. Monroe and people like that on yeah. television before me. But uh, but one of the early ones, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, to, to have taken on the whole theatre establishment, uh, including the Arts Council of England, yeah. uh, and, and in a way prevailed... Uh, is something that I am proud of because a lot of people are now having the opportunity to practice their craft at their highest level, uh, which didn't exist certainly when I started in theatre. I think I've been a part of you know that building uh, structure, which has allowed them to you know rise up higher yeah. and achieve uh, things which certainly weren't possible when I started, uh, and for years. You know, if they wanted to do a play which had, or television or a film, which had a major part for a black actor, they'd bring someone over from America. Um, Yeah. You know, um, there was a film based in Northern Ireland with Stephen Ray, uh, the name of which escapes me. But, you know, it's about the IRA, and they've taken a a soldier as prisoner, and they have him as prisoner. And throughout this, the film, they have a conversation, there's, you know, his prisoner's, having a conversation with this black soldier. And the conversation is about cricket. Right. And they had this uh, black American actor who <laughs> right. wouldn't know which end of a cricket bat to hold. Doesn't ring true at all, <laughs> does it? No, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's a very, he was a very fine actor. So sure. that I, I, you know, but it just demonstrates that you know, instead of casting any number of... They went to America and, and brought this person in. The optimist in you must hope that one day it'll be job done. Well, I don't know if it'll ever be a job done, uh, but I, I, certainly progress has been made. Mm. But the one thing which I've learned is that if you take your foot off the gas, it comes to a dead stop, and yeah. suddenly you find yourself back where you started again. Because yeah. that happened two or three times throughout my career, where you right. think, "Hey, we've, you know, we're on our way now. We're on the up," and so you go back to doing what you want to do, which is not politicking in sure. theatre, but you know, making theatre. Yeah. Uh, and you turn around and you look and suddenly you're right back where you started. Yeah, uh, you know, the right. funding is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you get people talking about, oh, well, we don't need to fund black theatre anymore because it's all part of the mainstream. I think, well, <laughs> which mainstream? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Do the mainstream know that? Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous, we're coming to an end now, Anton. Uh, we're just going to play another silly little game, mm-hmm. which we call Mute, Cute or Recruit. Now, do you know Snog Marry Avoid? 
Have you heard that phrase before? No. Snog, marry, avoid. Uh. This is our version, a Jerry Anderson version. <laughs> I'm going to show you three characters from a Jerry Anderson universe, Okay. Some of whom you might not know. Uh, so it's a gut feeling, really. We're trying to assemble some characters to make our very own international rescue. Right. And I want you to imagine that three people have popped up on your Facebook profile and you have to choose between them. One to mute, in other words, to never hear from again. Mm -hmm. One who you think might be cute, but one to recruit for your organisation. Right. Let's see how we go. <laughs> it's Robert the Robot. <laughs> um, from uh, Fireball XL5. Mute. <laughs> <laughs> mute him. So we have two more to go. Either one who is cute and one to recruit for right. an organisation. It's uh, Zero from uh, uh, Terror Hawks. Might come in useful. Do you think he's cute? Yes. Or would you recruit him? I'd, I'd probably recruit him. <laughs> Which means that you must think that uh, Mitch the Monkey. It's pretty cute. He's <laughs> pretty cute. I think you're right. But we had uh, Zero and the Zero to our uh, fantastic international rescue team. Thank yes, you very good. much for choosing. Now, just before you go, you need to take three random cards for our next guest. Uh, we won't see what they are until next time. That's it. You've got three there, right, I think. Right, yes. That's fine. We don't need to look at those. I shall hand them over to our next guest, and they get Ooh, to choose wow. who is mute, who to mute, and who to recruit. Thank you so much, Anton. It's been an absolute personal pleasure to have you around the table here on the podcast. Well, I, I've enjoyed it enormously. Thanks That's for having me. me. Thank you so much. <laughs> Anton Phillips, everyone. What a nice man. So, thank you. So many, many not thanks. you. No, I know. Obviously not me. Anton Phillips. Yes. For joining us. Uh, wonderful things to, to, to talk to Anton about his experience. Yeah. On screen and in the theatre. Big theatre man. Which is uh, important, I think. Yeah. Certainly important to him. And thank you, Anton, for making the trip to Slough to see us in the studio. Yeah, not so very far away from Pinewood, of course. No, you very know. close. Yeah. 15 minutes away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So maybe a journey he knows well. Thank you so much to, to Anton for joining us. Um, and uh, next week, we're hoping to have Genevieve Gaunt. Mm. So now we've got to make it happen. Mm. All right? Mm. <laughs> if not, it'll be someone else. Absolutely. But there we are. Um, now, over on YouTube, people have been commenting beneath previous podcasts yeah. and videos mm. and fab facts. Yes, those two. In particular, uh, I think we released a video recently of Ed Bishop's opinion on the series, uh, UFO that is, and the mistakes that it made. Yes, he had some very interesting opinions there Did that he? not everyone shared. Fair enough. Yeah, it's been, it's well, been quite popular. Know. He was there. I know, but his opinions were... Um, were quite different okay. to, to many viewers. Fine. Um, David Moore commented, Yeah. I have watched a ridiculous amount of sci-fi over the years and UFO still remains my favourite series. It has its faults and its missteps, but it always delivered the goods. Okay. So he says. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, Stephen Potchley commented, I think UFO is the best sci-fi action series. Once again, Jerry, Sylvia and all the team proved time and time again that they were the best. UFO is not really dated. Uh, as some sci-fi has. I like the contrast between the action episodes and the human ones, like the episode A Question of Priorities. Mm. With UFO, you get the best of both worlds, human and alien. It was such a shame that it only ran for one series. Absolutely. We get lots of people complaining yes. about that. The, the, yeah. the big kind of UFO contingent who were not so keen on Space 1999, yeah. they say, well, I wish they'd never made Space 1999. Because yes, they were wrong. Another UFO. Mm. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But, you know, it couldn't be that way. No, no. Uh, Makara 80. Oh, yes says, Bishop certainly has some interesting opinions on UFO, but I must say that I disagree with him on most. Fair enough. You see, I yes, told you they were contentious. Yes, I see. Giving Straker definable character flaws and personal dilemmas as well as alien incursions to repulse was both bold and novel in an era when main protagonists were typically one-dimensional. As such, Straker was far more complex a figure than the archetypal flawless commander stoically ordering the destruction of UFOs each week, and every week he could so easily have been doing so. Far from diluting the show's core premise, 
a humanized Ed Straker enhanced it. Because Ed was saying he felt that the soap opera elements, yes. as he described them, the human elements, distracted from the, the core of the show. And lots of people disagreed. Yeah, fair enough. There you go. Uh, people have been commenting beneath the first part of our interview with Nigel Planer as well a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Uh, Shane Paul said, listen to the podcast when I was at work at 5am. As now I'm home, I go, go straight to the end to watch Randomizer and give my best wishes to Chris Dale. He watches Torchy, so we don't have to. <laughs> well, except now that if you, if you watch Chris Dale doing the Randomizer watching Torchy, you also have to watch Torchy. So. That's true. Yep. Uh, John Clay says, good fan fact from 76 liked Chris's UFO t-shirt enjoying the new audio CDs and the third five star five book well done Richard James look forward to pod 269 uh, but the final word on that particular pod goes to Ian Dealey who says great to see Nigel Planer have a go on super identification although the score should have been a lot better he didn't score that well did six. he down there yeah six I think for Nigel. nice try though Nigel Absolutely. there's no shame in it no, of course there isn't yes um, over on the making of Space Patrol oh, video because yeah, yeah. we've uh, recently released Space yes. Patrol on Blu-ray, which is Indeed. now available. Yes. David Hind says, As a boy, I absolutely fell in love with Space Patrol. I was hooked from the very first time I saw the opening sequence. Space Patrol had a dreamlike, otherworldly feel to it, which, along with all the other amazing electronic sounds, was exactly right to fire a young boy's imagination. Mm. Thank you to Roberta Lee and Arthur Provis and others. Even as a 60-year-old, uh, I still have wonderful memories of watching Space Patrol. Oh, lovely. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah, now that's interesting, isn't it? So there's definitely a contingent of Anderson fans who mm. are just as big a fans of, of Space Patrol. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? Of but course it, it does. You know, I know, it's not an Anderson show, but yeah. it felt very right that yeah. we, you know, keep it available and out there. Yeah. And it's another another thing to enjoy. If you if you like Supergar and uh, 5XL5 and other Anderson shows, then chances are you will enjoy Space Patrol. And lots of people who actually only knew Space Patrol and not the Anderson stuff sure. so much. So. Now, by the time this podcast is released on September the 18th, will mm. people have got their grubby hands on copies of uh, Space Patrol? They're grubby and their clean hands, yes. Right, yes. So let us know. If you've never seen it before, particularly, let us know what you think. Do you think it's a welcome addition to the Anderson family, as it were? Uh, does it feel slightly odd to you or a perfectly natural fit? Let us know. Podcast.jerryanderson.com I'm guessing the latter. You think so? I think people are going to be pretty happy about it. We haven't had any complaints so far. Talking about people being very happy and not complaining about things... I don't think we've ever had a complaint about the randomizer. Is that really true? No, I think it's we've true. We've never had a single complaint. No, it's I never. can't believe it. Never that. happened. No. Not even from the randomizer himself. Well, I mean, there are certain episodes he'd rather not watch. <laughs> yes. Shall we see if he's about to watch one of them? Why not? Over to you, Chris. Good luck. And Tom, if you'd like to come back for one more press of the randomizer, since you did so well last week and produced an episode of your own show, which I still think is quite a major achievement. Well, let's see what we get this uh, time. Let's see what we get this time, yes. Now, we never have the same show more than one week running, so we're not going to get any more Space 1999 this week. We are, in fact, going to have some Four Feather Falls by the look of it, and the episode is... Gunrunners. Oh, I don't know anything about that one, but I'm sure we'll find out right now. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to have you on here. This pressing finger is good. You've done it very well, thank you. So, we now welcome back to the randomizer. It's Four Feather Falls, and it's Gun Runners. I nearly said Gunplay. I suspect that's an episode I've already done. Anywho, there's our good friend Tex Tucker. Let's see what adventure he gets up to this week. I suspect it will involve some gun runners. Aww. Okay, I can immediately tell this is reasonably early. I feel I've been saying that a lot about Four Feather Falls recently, but I can immediately tell the Rocky puppet. about ready for my Slightly the voice as well. Yeah, the puppets are. They definitely look better 
than um, they did in the beginning. I also, I mean, I've waffled over it there. It's something that came up previously on Four Feather Falls. Um, Dusty just called Rocky the biggest dude in the West, as if it was an insult. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind being called the biggest dude. I think that's quite cool. Uh, I guess it's one of those things that's, you know, changed over the years, possibly, or... I don't know. Maybe that was an insult in the Old West to be called a big dude. Oh, okay. So, we have the song. Uh, this is Happy Hearts and Friendly Faces, which I think is probably my favourite of the songs. But instead of just having Tex um, singing as they plod along, we're getting shots of the townsfolk going about their business, which is a nice touch. And the cucks are crowing in the morning. Always also get a shot of uh, passing rocks. That's uh, traditional by this point. Every day is spring, yes, you can fritter away your golden Monte Carlo. Come on, sing along, everybody. But if you've got an idea that you'd like to settle down, You'll love those gentle folks in homely places, happy hearts and friendly faces, way back in my hometown. Ah, I mean, people say with Terror Hawks that the Kate Kestrel songs um, threaten to stop the story cold. In Four Feather Falls, they really stop the story cold. I mean, at this point, the story hasn't even started yet. Nice to get the song out of the way, I suppose, but I'd... I suppose I'd like to know more about the approach to the inclusion of the songs in the series. Oh, there's Kalamakuya! Not seen him for a while. Obviously, some of the songs were out on uh, on vinyl. But it's quite early for them to be thinking in, in terms of merchandise. Bad news. Yeah? What's the trouble? Pale face, sell guns, red skull. Oh dear. Yes, well, he would do. That's bad. That's the title of the episode. Many braves take Okay. So I kind of like the uh, the sort of politics that we were presented with there. Obviously, Big Chief Kalamakuya is on our side. It's nice to get the um statement there to back up that that his tribe are for the most part looking to be friends with with the white man uh, that is not as um, well well shown in the series as it perhaps often should be uh, I'm thinking of episodes like ambush where there's like an Indian attack on the train um, and of course you have red scalp as a villain you by and large the the villain Indians kind of outnumber the, the good guys um, quite a bit but yes <laughs> Tex has immediately put two and two together and come up with Big Ben is responsible for all this trading guns to red scalp for instance prove it I'll prove it alright and I guess this is uh, this is where Big Ben lives I'll be back in the meantime, I just wanted to let you know that I know. I'm sure Big Ben's hiding something. Because he's normally so trustworthy. This is nice. Uh, sort of sparkly version of the Four Feather Falls theme. Oh, a 
ghastly bounder. Hey, Tex. Where's Dusty? Oh, he's around somewhere. <laughs> Dusty. Hey, Dusty. Oh, Rocky's mouth is moving. Sorry, I just noticed. I, I thought for a moment there was dialogue that wasn't playing, but I've never noticed that his mouth moved when they, when they walked the puppet. Maybe that was something they didn't stick with for long. Anywho, Dusty, in his clever way, has gone back to Ben's shack to keep an eye on things, which is something, you know, Tex might have thought to do. But I've got to leave it to Dusty to come up with the, the best plans around here. Red Skull of Olo with Big Ben. Come on in, Red Skull. <laughs> My old buddy, Red Skull. Oh, Dusty is such a good boy. And skimming through this recently, uh, looking for footage for the interview with Nigel Planer, I was struck by, it almost seemed in the first episode that Big Ben was in, which I, I don't think was this episode, but it almost seemed like he wasn't planned to be a regular villain, and then something about just how strongly he came across in the first episode kept him around because you know you have Pedro and Fernando they are essentially the default villains you also have Red Scalp Big Ben isn't like an immediate necessary part of the format but I'm glad they they kept him around because the puppet looks quite sinister he's um there's something of the old school Hollywood um very Edward G. Robinson face, it could be who it's modelled on, uh, which he also reminds me, which I think again is an Edward G. Robinson uh, homage of the uh, the leader of the anthill mob in Wacky Races. I can't remember his name. Marsh, wake up! Wake up, Marsh! So, Dusty has done all the detective work while Tex has gone to bed. Love a Mike. Can't it wait till morning? Oh, who's Mike, Bosch? Anyway. And I, again, I only know this as a result of skimming through the episodes. Um, this shot of, of Dusty coming into Tex's room appears in another episode, and it's almost, I would have to assume, the same footage. And they're still playing that thing that they did with early episodes where Dusty comes in and delivers a line quite clearly, if fast, and Tex says, oh, Take it easy, Dusty. Oh, but Tex, there's a man with a chainsaw trying to kill everybody. No, oh, slow down. I can't make out what you're saying. Show up. Oh, there's Big Ben. He will look around and see what gives. Hmm. <laughs> well, this is what gives. Big Ben. And, oh, he spotted Texas. No, he spotted Red Scout's feather. Ah, okay. Um, why are we getting comedy music? Oh, right, he has seen Texas feather. That's what I was going to say originally. Yeah. Looks like Ben's over by that rock there. Where's Red Scout? I don't know. I'd better look around the other side. Yeah, you do that. Does it involve walking the puppet? No? Who's that now? <laughs> so basically our villains are now playing a game of um, spot the hat. I thought this episode would, um, would have a bit more of a serious tone to it. 
considering, you know, gun running is quite a, a serious um, threat, as, as far as Big Chief Kalamakuya explained to us, this is quite serious. Uh, now our villains seem to... Um, no good Redskins brought a buddy to try and double-cross me. Right, they, there's a bit of a case of mistaken identity brewing here. Ah, which of course leads to... Oh! Oh, Ben's lucky to be alive there. That's also a good example of, uh, in the early shows, this and Supercar. I, I don't think it would have gone on to XL5. It might have done. That instead of having charges in the guns, they would just scratch the... Uh, no, they wouldn't scratch the negative. They would paint black onto the negative so that then when it was developed, it would come out as a white flash. And another early uh, live-action insert shot there was uh, Tex pulling his gun out. I have a long time to learn that lesson. And curiously, that oh, that's an interesting close-up. Curiously, that wasn't the magic guns that uh, helped him there. Oh, it was Tex's own uh, quick, quick response. Was that a fishing rod? Something to the left of frame just came in there that looked like a fishing rod. Uh, I, I don't know if that was something to trigger a charge. Yeah. And probably a doctor for Big Ben since he's bleeding from the skull having got an arrow through it. So. Well, I guess Red Scout won't be troubling us for a while. Hmm. Not till on, next Dusty. week anyway. Keep going, Ben. <laughs> but I'm bleeding from the brain, Tex. Oh, it's gold, but it's gonna also disappear. It's no good, Ben. Oh, dear. It ain't so easy to get your hands on Indian gold. Aha! Well, that was Four for the Falls, Gunrunners, and much like all of them, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable, thoroughly charming, uh, an interesting pair of uh, villains to, to frame the story around. It's nice that it wasn't always um, Pedro and Fernando in these stories. It's nice that they, they widened the scope of the series. Interesting that we didn't get really any of the uh, other townsfolk in this story, which is a shame because I, I, I pretty much like all of them. But, yeah, again, early days, I think, with this one. So we're still finding our way a bit. But we've created some, some credible, slightly threatening villains here. And, yeah, on the whole, good episode, Gunrunners. I'm glad I saw that. Wish I could be watching it in, uh, in high definition on Blu-ray. Hint, hint. Come on. Someone out there can make that happen, really. Anywho, where's the face in the sky? That's it, and we're done. Do you know, I can't hear mm. the Four Feather Falls song. Oh, well, try with, just with, adjusting the volume. Without yeah. imagining you and Sophie Aldred riding Chris Dale around the room. <laughs> Do you think you'll ever leave that memory behind? No, no, it's a fantastic memory to have. Yeah. Do you it think was... we should explain that or just leave that there? Uh, for those of you who don't know, when we were at uh, Brit Sci-Fi <laughs> in Leicester yep. earlier in 2023, yes. we performed a previously lost, unknown Nicholas Parsons yeah. uh, for the full script called yeah. Dusty's Day, and Chris played Rocky the horse. That's and right. as part of the performance, 
Richard and Sophie really threw themselves in and they rode Chris. They yes. sat on his back and there are photos and videos and you can watch Dusty's Day on the Jerry Anderson <gasps> YouTube channel. Yeah, lovely. How fantastic. I mean, a great project would be to bring that to life, wouldn't it? Like Literally. Some, yeah. Like, some like a live action version. No, no, not a live action. <laughs> but, you know, to create some puppets and... Oh, goodness me. All right, then, off you go. Well, I'm not going to do it. Good luck. I'm not saying I'm going to do it. It's quite a lot of work. I know, that's why I'm not going to do it. I'm I'm just saying it would be a great thing to do. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody else did it? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's quite often the way. Um, Mm. If you can think of any other things that would be a quite nice thing to do, why not uh, let us know at podcast.jerryanswer.com. In the subject line, in the subject line, just put quite a nice thing to do. And let us know what you think would be a quite nice thing to do. That's very generic, though. That's right. Anything like, I quite fancy a a picnic. Absolutely. That's great. We could talk about that. Okay. Yeah, why not? I mean, I didn't realise we were... Just broadening things out. That's that's incredibly broad, though. We've gone from (laughs) niche 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 to whatever the hell you like. Broad, broad, broad. Broad, broad, broad. There you go. Uh, (laughs) And join us next week for Pod 275... This was 275. (laughs) See, look, you've invented a new way of delivering podcast numbers now. So next week in pod 276. (laughs) Next week for pod 276. Oh, bye. Bye. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. I really enjoyed that. Stop it. I just, you know, sometimes my mind races ahead and my mouth can't keep up. That's all it is. Well, it provided me with much amusement. What did you do for the rest of the day? Uh, Probably going to get myself a little coffee. Yes. Quite fancy one of those now. Excellent, yeah. Are you going to pretend that you work at ESA? I often do. Do you? Yeah. Does it get you a discount at coffee stores? No, nothing like that. No, a a, a lady... um, uh, I went down to Tijuana oh, yeah. when I was out in San Diego yeah. uh, just for a little visit. That's and a, la- a lady came, came up to him and she went, oh, my God, sir, do you work for NASA? And, uh, I, and I went, no, sorry. And she just looked deflated and walked straight oh. off. So oh. I'm basically going to spend the rest of the day disappointing people. Well, uh, well, I mean, you know, no change there. Uh, thank you very much. That's how you spend most of your days. Yeah, I'm going to spend the rest of the day trying to convince people I'm Batman. Quite right, too. <laughs> Batman. Thanks. Goodbye. See you next week. That was an Anderson Entertainment production. You love those gentle folks in homely places, happy hearts and friendly faces, way back in my hometown. Ah.